0: Thank you, Rick and Ramona. We'll be preaching from Amos chapter 2. Amos chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. While you're turning, let me remind you, all who are able, uh, again, of the See You at the Pole rally this Wednesday, uh, 7.45 in the morning. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, our uh, administration, teachers, and young people who will have a rally like this, and our students. I ask you to pray for our students. I want to tell our students, I'm very proud of you, all of you, take a stand for Christ at the school. And let me say this also, you know, look around and we've mentioned this, and Brother Jeremy mentioned this about uh, a, a more active children's ministry. You know, we have activities and things for the youth, seventh grade and up. We'd like to, to have uh, more of an active children's ministry, which would be the small ones. And then, of course, the, the uh, middle school and elementary. And try to have more activities and things. And if you've ever thought, well, why don't we, whatever you want to finish the sentence with, for the younger ones, come to the meeting because we have a lot of kids here. We counted it up, and I've mentioned this before. We have over 20-something, three years old and under in this church. Uh, And Then when you talk about three years old and up, that's the Awana kids, and there's uh, dozens and dozens of them. So we have a lot of kids here, and we want to help not only the children, but the parents of the children. Let me say this also. Thanks to all of you who take the time and the effort to get your little ones ready to come to church. I know it adds a whole new dimension to your morning. Now last night, Sharon and I were able to keep lofting overnight. He had a sleepover at Grand Grand and g house. Everything went as smooth as silk. I mean, just absolutely smooth as silk. But let me tell you, when you've got a young one to get ready that can crawl and get around the house, I mean, somebody's got, it has a whole new dimension of an activity in the morning. And it was was just great. But let me tell you, I appreciate all of you parents who bring your kids to church. And I want to say thank you for that. And I'm just thrilled to see every one of you here. And I know it's a lot busier in the back here. Uh, for the Children's Church, and uh, I'm thankful. For those of you who volunteer to help, those of you who invest your time, it is worth every single ounce of effort, and I want to say thank you for that. Up to now, I want to get you up to speed before we read our passage of Scripture. If you haven't been here in a few Sundays, we are walking through the prophets, and the reason being is because if you read through the New Testament, The gospel writers had a high regard of the prophets and they used the prophets to explain exactly what Jesus was doing and to make sense of who he is. The apostles had a high regard of the prophets and as you look through the remainder uh, of the New Testament, the apostle Paul. But especially Jesus Christ himself highly esteemed the prophets and used their words to explain and make sense to the disciples All the things that wouldn't make sense otherwise. And what he said is this. You want to understand who I am and what this is all about? It's all in the prophets. They tried to explain it to you. So if Jesus is going to have such a high regard for the prophets. And the prophets are held in such high esteem by the other writers of the New Testament. But then we need to look at these guys. We need to look at who they are. We need to look at what they wrote. And we started with Amos because he's the first prophet chronologically as we deal with the ministry of the prophets. And we'll take them chronologically and look, of course, at the historical setting of when and where they preach. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we finished up with God's pronouncement of judgment. And up till now, in the book of Amos, God has been pronouncing judgment on the surrounding countries. And as he pronounced judgment on the surrounding countries, no doubt that evoked applause from all the patriotic Hebrews. Because these were the countries that were causing them so much grief. And so we have Damascus, boom. Gaza, boom. Tyre, boom. Edom, boom boom, everybody's applauding because they're getting what they deserve. God's raining down judgment on all these ungodly nations. But you have to understand, as you read through the places and the sequence in which they're listed, you have one in this corner, one in this corner, the other in this corner, and the other in this corner, and God draws an X across the nation of Israel. An X marks the spot. And God is about to deal with those who are in the spot. In Amos chapter 2 verse 4. Would you stand as the scriptures read please. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Judah. And for four I will not turn away its punishment. Because they have despised the law of the Lord. They have not kept his commandments. Their lies led them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send fire upon Judah, and it will devour, devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver." And the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth which is on the head of the poor. And pervert the way of the humble. A man and his father go into the same girl and defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge. And drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. Whose height was like the height of cedars. And he was as strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. And it was I who brought you from the land of Egypt and who led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is this not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophet saying, do not prophesy. Behold, I am weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. Therefore, flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous of men of might shall flee naked in that day, says the Lord. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prophets. As they spoke to their generation, their words also speak to our generation. As they addressed their country, their words also address our country. As their words address your people, we know their words address us as well may we listen clearly and take note in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated what an eye-opener as Amos began his pronouncement of judgment on all the surrounding countries. No doubt, they were all glad to see where this was going. They were all glad to see that God was raining down judgment on all these other countries. And, and besides that, we can be in on, as spectators of it and see what's going on because we're God's chosen country. But then all of a sudden, something they're not listening for, something they're not expecting, it says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four. All of a sudden, everybody sits up to take notes. God has turned his attention on his own people. Remember, the countries of Judah and Israel are all the same people. You see, the country divided several hundred years before as a judgment upon the country, because of Solomon's disregard of God's pattern for marriage and relationships he totally disregarded that and God said because of this this one country that stood together I'm going to tear apart and now there's two countries but they're all Hebrews they're all sons of Abraham they're all the same country almost like two different states so as God rains down judgment on Judah and Israel it's all really the same people the transgressions of Judah we start there They have despised the law of the Lord. They have despised the law of God. Now perhaps not verbally because they were proud of their circumstance to be called the children of Abraham. They were proud to stand among the nations of the earth and say, we are the Hebrews. We are God's people. This is God's nation. And no doubt, they wore that very proudly. So verbally, they still claimed allegiance to God. Verbally, they still named the name of God, but in their attitude, And in their practice, they were rebelling against the law of God. Now, Jesus said this in a different way when he addressed his generation. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you totally ignore the things I say? Good question. Why do you call God Lord? Why do you call Jesus Christ your Lord, and you totally ignore, and you don't do the things that he says? In attitude and practice, they were rebelling against the things that God had said. And of course, as we see, their lies led them astray, lies which their fathers followed. Now, some English translations say they're false gods. The translation of the original Hebrew lends itself to either thing. But either way, it's a lie. A false god is a lie. Isn't that correct? But here is the point that is made here. Each generation led the upcoming generation astray. Did you catch that? Lies which their fathers followed. This generation followed a lie and the little kids coming up followed the same lie which tells us this. We are not free as adults to live the lives we want and do what we want and be our own person we have a responsibility especially as god's people to lead our young people in the truth and in the way of god and when we espouse a lie when we live a lie when we rebel against the law of god by ignoring it and not living by it and casting it aside you know who's going to follow us all these little ones the next generation God's bringing judgment upon Judah because they were leading every generation astray. Then we come to the transgressions of Israel. And if you look at the transgressions of Israel, this is a bigger list than all the other ungodly countries. You look at Edom and Damascus, Gaza entire all these it's, it's one or two little verses about what they've done wrong this is a volume this is a whole list of things there's about eight things that we see that they were doing wrong and we we can kind of summarize them in about three categories number one rampant greed and disregard for others. Now this was a time of ease and pleasure for many people in Israel. That's why it was so hard for the prophets to get their attention. You know it's real easy for God to get our attention when things are going bad. It's real easy for God to get our attention when the tragedy comes and and that's just the way it is and there's nothing wrong with that. I can't think of anybody else we'd better turn to when things go wrong but as long as things are going good as long as we have things going our way, as long as we got all the pleasures in front of us, a lot of times we don't hear what God has to say. Amos is having problems here because at this time in Israel's history, many of the people, especially in leadership, had it good. They had pleasure. They had plenty. They had ease. They had all the comforts that society could give them. But they had rampant greed to the point where they had blatant disregard for others. It says they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. A little bit later on in chapter four, verse one, hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria. You oppress the poor and crush the needy. So we understand They were so enraptured with more money and more stuff and more pleasure and more recreation, they totally despised those who had need. And we're not talking about just despise them. They used them. They exploited them. We have they sell the righteous for silver. We we look here and say, wait a minute. How did they acquire ownership of those people? Well, this is explained in chapter 5. Verse 11, if you'll turn over. Just about a page where you're from. Chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, built houses of hewn stone, you will not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you will not drink wine from them. Look at this. I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins afflicting the just and taking bribes diverting the poor from justice at the gate here's what's happening can you imagine this those people that had money used that money to gain power in their government. Can you imagine somebody doing that? Isn't that something new that we've never heard of before? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be something if we saw that in the news today and what was going on was this. If I had a grievance against someone and I had a little bit more of this, well, the judge would get a little bit more of that. And all of a sudden, the judgment would go our way. So you have the poor. You have those who don't have this kind of inside information. They don't have the greenbacks to grease the judge's bench, so to speak, where they are getting always the bad end of the deal when financial judgments. Because of what they would do, they would sue these people. They would have a debt, and they would sue these people. And when they went to court, well, they would pay the judge off. Now what they would do, these people lost the judgment. Now the only thing they had left to do was sell themselves and their families into slavery because the court decreed it. Why did the court decree that? Because that guy who already had the money shelled out some of it and now injustice is taking place. The judges and the laws don't apply to integrity and fairness. The justice and the laws are now perverted and those who have money are taking bribes and enslaving their debtors. They're taking them to court for the smallest Of debts. It says they sell the poor for a a pair of sandals. So I I owe a man for the price of a pair of sandals. Cheap sandals. Well, they're going to take you to court. I mean, there's no tolerance here for deadbeats. And so for a little bit of, of debt, they're taking you to court. And what happens when you go to court? Because I owe the money for a pair of sandals and I can't pay the bill right now, I'm taken to court and I'm sold into slavery for a little of nothing. And they drive the poor to despair. It says they pant after the dust of the earth which is on the head of the poor and pervert the way of the humble. Now, now, some of you have other English translations. This word, pant after the dust of the earth, is, is translated, they trample into the ground the poor. Another look at this, they pant after the dust of the earth, is I'm not going to stop till these people are in such despair that they're in grief throwing dust on their head. I'm not stopping until I've gotten every last penny I can get out of him. Why? Because I want more. And you know the name of the game is more money. And you know what the measure of true success is in this society? More money. That's what people measure whether or not you're successful is whether you've got more money. And I won't stop until I get it all. And if I have to drive this man... To the point of despair where he's throwing dust on his head in grief because he's lost his family. That's what I'm going to do. Because nothing's more important than more stuff and more money. That's the society. And it says they pervert the way of the humble. Well, in Job chapter 24 verse 4, Job explained this. They push aside the needy. They push them out of the way. Now this could be taken literally. Literally. If they ran up on, on the highway, they'd just push them away. Why? Because they were somebody and these people weren't. But probably what it meant is on their way to the top, they pushed everybody out of the way that would get in their way or they used them to get up there, no matter who they had to step on. So we had rampant greed and that greed translated in total regard for others. You see, they loved money and used people. And should be the opposite. We should love people and use money. And that's the proper relationship. Second, they chose self-indulgence over God's principles of morality. And this is where it gets ugly. First, it says this. It says in verse seven, a man and his father go down to the same girl. A man and his father were going into the same prostitute what does this tell us? That tells us this. That tells us that daddies were no longer acting like fathers. You see, because if the daddy was acting like a daddy should act, this passage of scripture would have never, ever been written. But fathers were going into such blatant immorality and ignoring their responsibility to lead their sons Father and son were both participating in the same blatant immorality, and it says, and they've defiled and perverted my name because of it. And you know why God mentions it that way? He says, Hey, you may be following your lusts and your passions, but let me tell you, you're not free to do your own thing because you still got my name on you. Because he was dealing with his people. And he said, and you've shamed my name and you've perverted my name because you've done what you want to do and you chose your self-indulgence over honoring my name. We had also, if you look in verse 8, they lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. There was a national preoccupation with alcohol. In chapter 4, verse 1, hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring wine and let us drink. In chapter 6, verse 6, it says they drink wine by the bowlful. So we have a total national preoccupation with alcohol. It wasn't just alcohol was in the land, alcohol saturated the land. And let me tell you the point to where it got to. It says, they lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge. Now this is a picture, and you have to do a little bit of homework and look at the historical setting, what's going on. They were going to the altars of the false gods, and they were laying down and sleeping by the altars, maybe sleeping, maybe other things taking place by the altars, but they were laying down on garments taken as collateral for these loans. So here's a man who owed you some money. I got to have some collateral. I don't know if you're gonna pay this back. Hey, that's a pretty good overcoat you got there. Let me have that overcoat for collateral. Well, the man's got no choice. It's either give him his overcoat for collateral Is he taking you to that judge. And we all know how that's gonna turn out. So he takes the coat. And he takes the coat, it's such a nice coat, such a comfortable coat, makes him a pallet right down there by the altar of a false god, lays down and falls asleep. Now what's wrong with that? You say, well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that. I'll tell you what's wrong with that is he's, he's got this guy's coat. Well, it gets even worse than that. Turn back to Exodus chapter 22 verse 26. Exodus chapter 22, verse 26 and 27. Listen really close. Remember what we just read. These people going to sleep, laying down on garments taken as collateral or as pledge. Now, let's hear the word of God. Exodus chapter 22, verse 26. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. That is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear for I am gracious. If you ever take your neighbor's garment for collateral, you return it before the sun goes down. That's all he has. How's he gonna stay warm? God said, you don't keep it overnight. What were they doing? They were keeping it overnight. They didn't care. And you know why they didn't care? Because they were drunk. That's why they wouldn't care. And because they were drunk, anything went that would otherwise not go. You know what we hear in court today? Well, your honor, I was drunk. And sometimes that comes as an excuse. And you get a lighter sentence because we all know when people are drunk, they don't make right decisions. The whole country was like that to the, poor, to the point where poor were being exploited and people were ignoring God's rules. And they were taking these clothes and they were laying down, passing out drunk on them. And they didn't care. They were violating God's word. See, they chose self-indulgence over God's rules of morality and then thirdly they attempted to silence God's word in verse 11 I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites and then he says this isn't this so you children of Israel so he gives them a chance to say you're right God we cannot deny this you did raise up prophets you did raise up Nazarites Then he says this, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets saying, do not prophesy. Isn't that something? They wanted to silence God's word because you see it was the prophets who were telling them what the right thing to do would be. It was the Nazarites who were trying to lead them into a way of holiness. And part of the Nazarite vow is you will not drink wine. So in this country of self-indulgence, all of these folks who were indulging alcohol were uncomfortable with the ones who didn't drink. And they were uncomfortable with the ones who were going to leave them in holiness. And they were saying, you can't judge us. So they were insisting that they would drink so you can be like we are. And so they made the Nazarites and insisted and insisted and insisted, pressuring them. If you want to fit in, you're going to drink like we do. Then they told the prophets, oh, by the way, you're making us uncomfortable and we don't want you to speak anymore. This happened to Amos himself in chapter 7, verse 10. In Amos chapter 7, verse 10. This gets real interesting. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Now, he is supposed to be a representative of God's house, but now he didn't come from Jerusalem. They had already made their own way over here, and they had this little temple going on in Bethel. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For Amos has said, Jeroboam will, buy, will die by the sword. Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah, the priest, said to Jude, uh, to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, there eat bread, there prophesy, don't prophesy again ever, for it is the king's sanctuary, it's his royal presence. Did you catch what he said? You go over there, you're making the king uncomfortable. He doesn't like what you're saying. And you're making him uncomfortable with all these words of judgment, and all these words of sin, and all these things of righteousness. You're making the king uncomfortable. We don't like what you're saying. You go over there and prophesy. You go, go, get away from here, go. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? They tried to silence God's word because God's word was uncomfortable. And God's word was said to be intolerant. And you know what? God is intolerant, He will not tolerate evil. And wickedness and oppression of the poor and disregard of morality. He will not tolerate that. Yes, God is intolerant of a lot of things. And intolerant has become a, a nasty word today. And intolerant when it comes to the opinions of others or, or in other applications. But what they were saying is because you're preaching against all the things that this nation loves to do, you're intolerant. Go over there and get away from here because people don't want to hear what you have to say. So let's look at the response of God. The response of God is found in verse 9. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of cedars. He was strong as the oaks, but I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. It was I who brought you from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness, possessed the land of of the Amorite. But see, what does this tell us? It tells us this God is saying, I taught you by example, because you have to understand, you have to understand that you were nothing when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. That I didn't look down on you when you were poor. And I didn't crush you when you were poor. And I didn't despise you and trample you into the dirt when you were poor and needy. But I brought you by mercy into this place of plenty. I taught you by example. And I taught you by decree that you should not oppress the poor. And not only did I teach you by decree, I showed you what all that was about. I took you when you were nothing and gave you something. And that's how I expect for you to ask. And then he says this, number two. And I, I brought you to this place of plenty. You take all these things that you've gotten and you're using them like your own. You're all these things that you've gotten and you're using them like you're, you're responsible for them. You're taking the credit because you've got this plenty, and you're taking the credit because you've got this power. And now you're using it all for you. And I want you to remember, I'm the one who gave you this. I'm the one who gave it to you. Thirdly, I. Expect more from you than the surrounding nations. Why is that? Well, what did they have that the surrounding nations didn't? They had the clear, explicit instructions of God in the law. Now, the surrounding nations were without excuse because their sins were so immoral, so abhorrent, it defied what God had given them when it comes to general rules of morality. But when it comes to the people of God who have had explicit instructions on how to live, he says, you are expected to be more than the ones around you. You are expected to be holier than they are. And your sins are piling up. In verse 13, I am weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. Again, different translations say this. I will crush you like a loaded cart rolls over grain. Well, that's going to be so when we see how the the judgment piles up. But this translation here applies when you look at the words that God used to every single country. For three transgressions of Judah and for four. For three transgressions of Israel and for four. What does that mean? It means we're not talking about one transgression. We're talking about a whole list of them, and then one more. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. He said, I'm way down under you as a cart full of sheaves. You see, when you when you loaded the grain into a cart, you gathered them up in sheaves, and one man could handle a sheaf of grain, and he would throw it in the cart. That's not that much, is it? <laughs> That's not that bad. So then he would get another one and he would load the cart, throw it in there. Still not just too bad, but he would throw them in there one at a time and every single sheaf or grain was something that could be handled easily by a man. And any man would say, one more sheaf is not that bad. But sooner or later, the cart gets too full. Sooner or later, the cart is pressed down. And that's what happened with the sins of the country. More and more and more, just one more compromise, one more sin. One more accommodation for self-indulgence. And finally, God says, I am weighed down. The card is full. You have stretched my tolerance and my holiness and my justice and my righteousness to the breaking point for three transgressions and now four, that's the last one. So judgment is coming because that's the last straw. Now all that's the What? Now let's look at the so what. The so what is this. Regardless of what generation it is and what year it is on the calendar, God expects righteousness from his people. And God expects us to live up to the name we wear. Regardless of whether or not a country or a person or a community even acknowledges the presence of God, they're still held responsible as we see in the surrounding countries. But When it comes to justice and holiness, God is intolerant and he will not tolerate sin. That means sin's disqualified us and we're toast. But God, in his mercy, sent Jesus Christ so our sins can be forgiven. See, a just and holy God can't turn away from sin, but he can forgive it. But the price had to be paid. And Jesus paid the price. We read a couple of weeks ago this this quote from the book of Romans chapter 5. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we see all of this and maybe some that we've read has gotten under a nerve. That's a good thing. That means God loves you too much to leave you alone. And when we get uncomfortable when God starts exposing the sins of a country, that's a good thing but God doesn't want us to stay the way he found us. As we prepare for an invitation of him, what's going on in our country? Well, a lot going on in our country. I can't change what's going on in the White House. I can't change what's going on in New York or Las Vegas or out there in San Francisco. I can't change all that. There's a lot of sleaze going on out there. What can I change? Right here. I can change what's going on in my life and I can change what's going on in my house. And the problem with the children of Israel is their lives have gotten to such a mess, their homes are a mess because parents weren't asking like parents and the generations were being led astray. And God tells his children, his people, his parents that are in his country, I expect more of you than this. So we heed the word of God and if there's something you need to change, something you need to talk to God about, definitely if you need to come and accept Christ, you come this morning as we stand the sing. Number 117.